Well, we're blessed this morning because we have one of our elders, Clive Koopman, who was on piano this morning as well. But he's going to be sharing around the word this morning. So why don't you give a hand to Clive this morning. Morning, everybody. Please take a seat as I will take a seat. Well, Tim referred to the fact that it's the new year, so... Well, it's not the new year just yet, but it's coming up and uh, in just a few days. And it's that time of year where people start to make decisions about the next year. What are we going to do? What would we like to change? In our society, we call that a new year resolution. A resolution, you often heard of the United Nations pass a resolution. A resolution is really a statement of intent. It's what we intend to do. It's what the course of action that we would like to take, uh, something we'd like to implement. Well, did you know that in the book of Ephesians, Paul writes to those uh, people in that church at Ephesus and he gives them three New Year resolutions. Well, I'm calling it New Year resolutions, but it may not have been the New Year, but they definitely were resolutions. And we find that in the book of Ephesus, um, in the middle almost. But before we get to the scripture, let's have a little bit of a look at the background to Ephesus. In 62 AD, Ephesus was a major centre. It was the third biggest city in the Roman world. There was Rome, of course. Then there was Alexandria near Egypt. And there was Ephesus. So it's the third in the hierarchy of big cities. Church life, of course, was less formal. People didn't actually go to church. They were the church. So when, a, when Christians gathered, that was the church. It didn't meet necessarily in a building. The church gathered in homes, marketplaces, wherever. Christianity was not politically correct. It wasn't widely accepted. In fact, in 62 AD, it was pretty dangerous to be a Christian. Publicly testifying to the fact that you were a Christian might lead to... Uh, poor treatment by your neighbours, uh, it could lead to persecution, it could lead to death. Uh, in 64 AD, the emperor of Rome was Nero. Historically, he was one of the worst persecutors of Christians. So Paul's writing this letter to the Ephesian church two years before Nero takes leadership of Rome. I don't want you to think of Ephesus as like a city where there was dusty streets and a couple of camels tied up every here and there. Think of it like Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane. So Ephesus is like Brisbane. It's a big city. It's got a river access. It's got a lovely harbour. It's the centre of trade. It's the centre of commerce. There's lots of social services. I read that it had a huge public library, that it had um, an underground sewer system, that it even had an amphitheatre which was twice the size of the Sydney Meyer Music Bowl. It seated 25,000 people. It was a pluralistic city in every way, ethnically, culturally and religiously. So a lot of stuff was going on. It meant that there was a lot of diverse belief in Ephesus. And that's what Paul is writing to about these new resolutions. He's because the society in which the Christians were living at that time was so depraved and so diverse, Paul was writing to remind them where they'd come from. 
The diversity, however, was really socially accepted back in Ephesus. Even the depraved um, behaviours was accepted in the, back in Ephesus. It's kind of similar to what it is like today. But you can imagine anyone preaching that there's only one God or there's only one way to live, they were bound to face rejection, pressure at the least. It was really difficult to be a Christian then. But is that so different from Australia today? Here's a quote from um, a website called Escapist Magazine. Uh, the quote comes from this year. I think that many aspects of many different religions are valid in regard to how we see things, how we live our lives, and the kinds of people that we should be. There are too many different kinds of people to restrict the validity to one form of religion. And that's a pretty pre prevalent kind of comment. You see, when, when tolerance prevails, it's very difficult to be firmly grounded in one faith because you're trying to accept all of the different beliefs. And it's very complicated. So sticking to the exclusive truth of the gospel is very complicated. It's hard to be fully committed to the church community. We see that today. We see that back in Paul's day when he was writing to the church in Ephesus. In today's world, there's ethnic diversity, religious and philosophical pluralism, New Ageism, Relativism, Materialism, Commercialism, Postmillennialism, and all of the confusion of the competing doctrines and beliefs, even amongst Christian believers. So the church faces a really big challenge. And it's not too dissimilar to Ephesus back in the day. There was an article referred to on Hope Radio earlier in the week. It was a survey that the Sydney Morning Herald conducted. The survey was called, We Believe in Miracles and UFOs. And um, it found out this information. Most Australians believe in God or a similar universal spirit. Uh, but that's not the only faith that Australians hold. Australia is credulous, willing to mix and match religious faith with belief in other phenomena. Nearly half of the population believe in psychic powers, such as extrasensory perception, while 41% of the population believe in astrology. This is the world in which we live. And as I said, it's not too dissimilar to Ephesus. Well, Paul's New Year's resolutions. He writes to remind Christians to strengthen their resolve in three ways. So let's read together. And I've got the large print version here. You see it on the screen there. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 through to 24. Paul's writing, and he says to the church at Ephesus, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life of God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off 
your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. The three New Year resolutions that we see here are the firstly, it's a new year, a new walk. Ephesians 4, 17 to 19. Paul's keen that Christians are distinctive, a bright light in a dark world. It reminded me of going to the Christmas lights down in Robertswood and how if you go there at 8 o'clock, it's pretty amazing. But if you go at 9.30, it is spectacular. Because the darker it gets, the lights seem to shine brighter. And that's what Paul is keen that the Christians in Ephesus are like, that they're distinctive, that they shine bright as things get darker. The second New Year resolution from Paul is that it's a new year, start a new school. Ephesians 4, verse 20 and 21. Paul's keen that Christians are disciplined. Here's a quote from John Newton, the hymn writer. When people are right with God, they are apt to be hard on themselves and easy on other people. But when they're not right with God, they are easy on themselves and hard on others. It's important that we are disciplined as Christians. We know what we should be doing and we do what we know we should be doing. And the third resolution is new year, new clothes. Ephesians 4, 22, oh yeah, 20, Kathy's amening, 4, 22, 24. Paul's keen that Christians display those Jesus qualities, the thoughts and attitudes, the scripture says there. I read this quote, some people would be scantily clad if they were clothed in their humility. These are Paul's New Year's resolutions. We're going to have a look at them in depth. Let's pray together, though. Father, today we ask that your Holy Spirit would enlighten us, teach us, and inspire us toward the change that you want to make. Holy Spirit, illuminate, educate, and empower us in our resolve to see you more clearly, to love you more dearly, to follow you more nearly in 2020. Father, we pray this prayer in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So let's look together in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to 19. New year, new walk. Let's read that again, 17 to 19. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. This little section begins with a really strong insistence from Paul. With the Lord's authority, I say this. It's very forceful. Paul is trying to get a very clear message across to the church. The Greek word is maturamai, and this is for the authority, and it's, Paul is saying, I call as my witness God. In fact, 
Eugene Peterson in the Message Bible says, and I insist, and God backs me up on this. It's such a firm resolve and so such forceful language that Paul is really, he's not mincing words and he's not joking, he's dead serious. With the Lord's authority, I say this. And what does he say? Live no longer as the Gentiles do. Now, in the New Living Translation that we're reading from this morning, your, your version might say walk no longer um, because the literal word is peripateo, the Greek word. We uh, have in our school system, we have a number of teachers in the music area that come and they teach an instrument in the school and then they move to another place to teach. They're called peripatetic teachers. They walk from place to place. Peripateo means walking from place to place. But how Paul uses that verb here is it's like a, a meaning, not just walking, but the way you walk, um, your life, in other words. Um, your walk defines you, how you walk. People see how you walk. And it's usually used as a metaphor in the Gospels, peripateo. And it does mean to follow a certain course for your life. So your life becomes such uh, ingrained that the way you walk becomes your life. And the, the verb is a present tense verb. And so the, Paul is saying this is a continuing thing, the way you walk. It's a continuing development of your conduct or your behaviour. And that's why in the New Living Translation, the word walk has been translated to live because, in fact, it does translate to the whole of your life. I was thinking about the walk. You know, Kathy and I often walk down the river with the dog and we take the same route all the time, walk the same way on the same path. It would be ludicrous of us to think by walking the same direction on the same path that we'd end up at a different destination. Uh, Paul is is really insistent, don't walk this way. Don't walk like the Gentiles. Don't walk like the outsiders. Don't walk like the people of the world. Very, very important that our Christian walk is different, is distinctive. Um, Paul then goes on to say, uh, like he lists a range of different things and it seems like it's going downhill. Everything's going downhill. In that distinction, Paul is saying to us, it reminded me again of another thing I saw in my, in my church when I was growing up down in Cronulla. There used to be this um, poster on the wall out where they had the hymn books stacked. And the poster said, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And I think that's what Paul's saying. Be distinctive. So... Let's look at this list of things, the downward spiral, I've called it. In verse, uh, end of verse 17, Paul says, they are hopelessly confused. That's where it starts, hopelessly confused. In fact, Paul says it in another place, that the mind governed by the flesh is hostile, not only confused, but against God. Uh, they wander far from the life of God, uh, their minds are closed, they've hardened their hearts, 
You see what's happening here? It's getting worse. They have no sense of shame. They've even lost the ability to be ashamed of their action. They live for lustful pleasure, so their walk, their peripateo, is lustful pleasure. And look at this. They eagerly practice every kind of impurity. It's like running towards that kind of thing rather than running away from that kind of thing. That's how far the Gentiles have gone. Paul's saying, do not walk this way. With the Lord's authority, I say. I, um, I love this little story that comes out of America. A young man was sitting at a stoplight in downtown New Orleans. And uh, the lady in front of him was distracted with some uh, books or papers on the front seat. And the light changed from red to green. But the young woman didn't move. So the young man bipped his horn a little bit and reminding her that she was driving a car, she wasn't at home or she wasn't in the office. But even with that gentle reminder, she didn't move. And before he knew it, the light had turned yellow, then it turned red again. And she still hadn't moved. So the man began tapping the, the wheel of his car and started screaming, you stupid thing, you... Da, 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 da. Um, and other things. He was, <laughs> he, was beating, he was beating the steering wheel with his fist. But he was shocked when he heard a knock on his window and he turned to look and he saw a policeman with his gun drawn. The policeman told him to step out of the car and handcuffed him. As he was putting him in the back of the patrol car, the young man was still in disbelief and he said, hang on. You can't arrest me for screaming at her from inside my car. The patrolman looked at him and he said, you're going downtown with me. And he drove them to the police station. Well, after two hours in a holding cell, the officer came and said he was free to go. The man told him, you've stepped in it now, buddy. I know you can't arrest me for screaming and throwing a fit in my own car. You haven't heard the last of this. The police officer calmly responded to him by saying, Sir, you were not arrested for shouting or throwing a fit in your car. You see, I was sitting directly behind you at that light and I saw you screaming and beating your steering wheel, steering wheel and I said to myself, what a jerk. But there's nothing I can do to him for throwing a fit in his own car. Then I noticed the cross hanging from your rear view mirror. The no Jesus, no peace bumper sticker and the fish symbol on the back of your car and I thought this is not his car it must be stolen <laughs> and that's why I arrested you <laughs> Paul's first new first new year resolution is new year new walk let's have a look at the next one new year new school Ephesians 4 verse 20 and 21 let's read that Verse 20 of Ephesians 4. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him. But that isn't. This is another emphatic decree from Paul. It's a big but. It's very forceful. He's trying to, to bring out the, the contrast. But that isn't. It's very forceful. It's not what you learned about Christ. In this little passage, there are two Greek words that are used for the, the word learned 
This first one is methano, and it is something that's similar to being like a disciple. So as, as you've learned, or you've become a disciple, um, and it's more clearly understood if we extend it to saying, since you have come to know Christ, since you have come to know about Christ. The fact that Paul uses the word Christ is also emphatic. A lot of force being placed on that, the word Christ, as opposed to Jesus in the next verse. I think what Paul's trying to say here is, but that is not how you've come to know Christ. Christ, the anointed one, Christ, the Messiah, Christ, the king, the prophet, the priest, all of those really powerful and strong things about the Son of God. Um, the pulpit commentary which I was reading says this, and I'll just quote from that. In all his offices, so talking about Christ, coming to know Christ, in all his offices, in all his influence, the efficacy of his atonement, the power of his spirit, the force of his lessons, and the spirit of his influence. Paul is really saying this is not how you learned Christ. Christ is so far above everything and every action that the Gentiles, those outside Christ, are doing. Since you have heard about Christ, now I really love, I really love this word. It's got a musical uh, rendering to it. Heard about Jesus, the next part. Since you've heard about Jesus, the Greek word is akouo, which from which we get our term acoustics. And it means when we heard about Christ, we comprehended by hearing. That's one way that we learn by hearing. Apparently, 88% of what we learn, we, we see through our visual gate, and then a smaller percentage by our hearing. But Paul says here, it's the acoustics, akouo. What we've heard, I like to think of it as the sound in the room, the sound in the room. It's got ramification for how we learn as a community and in a community. So if we've learned the truth that comes from him. So this is a different Greek word to mantheo. This learned is didasko and it literally means to cause to learn, to instruct, to impart knowledge. It's more about how we learn from the scripture. Um, so in this instance, it means to be taught the scripture in fellowship with Christ. That is what we're doing today. Um, we're listening to the scripture. We're getting the Holy Spirit's understanding of the scripture. And that is teaching us and we are learning. Hopefully. <laughs> so the whole idea of that learning, a very important part of the work of the Holy Spirit, because he is the teacher. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 27, John writes, But you have received the Holy Spirit, and he lives within you, so you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know, and what he teaches is true. Truth is uh, translated from the Greek word aletheia, and in Greek culture, this word, aletheia, was synonymous with reality. It was the opposite of illusion. So what Paul is saying here is, this is rock solid. What you have learned, akuo, what you have learned, the sound in the room, it's rock solid. 
it is, it is trustworthy. It is not an illusion. So we learn in, first of all, a discipling community, the akuo, the sound in the room. To take on that kind of learning, we have to be present. We have to be in the, in the room um, and connect groups and other places where the church gathers. And secondly, the Holy Spirit reveals scripture to us. That's the way we learn. And that can be corporately or it can be personally. I love this little story. I heard about a nine-year-old girl coming back from Sunday school and her father was sitting down with his newspaper after a delicious Sunday lunch. She asked him some questions. Dad, why did God make all the leaves green? He thought a moment and replied, I don't know. Then she asked, Dad, what did God do before he made the world? And again he said, I don't know. She asked him another one, Dad, how did Noah catch two snakes and put them in the ark? He put down the newspaper and said, I don't know. The little girl sensed that her father was getting a bit restless. So she asked, do you mind if I ask you questions? And the father replied, not at all. How are you going to learn anything if you don't ask questions? <laughs> I think we should never be afraid of asking questions. In connect groups, when you meet with other people, ask questions. Ask questions of God. Ask questions of the Holy Spirit. Never think that you know it all. Meditate on the scripture. Ask Holy Spirit for revelation. Be disciplined to apply what you've learned. Because no one has ever arrived. It's what we learn after we think we know it all that counts. So Paul's second New Year resolution was number two, New Year, New School. The third one is New Year, New Clothes. And this is from Ephesians 4, chapter, oh, chapter 4, verse 22 to 24. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Dr. Rod Thompson uh, wrote a series of Bible study books called Where Elephants Swim. And this is a quote from him. Speaking about this passage, he said, it's like flinging off the old putrid clothes that have been worn to death, love that phrase, and fitting into a whole new wardrobe of fresh, newly fashioned garments. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. That word old, Paul is at pains to make, make it clear to the people that it is old, like old, ancient, antique, worn out. He says in a companion letter to Ephesians, which is the, the letter to the Colossians, he says in verse uh, 9 and 10 of chapter 3, For you have stripped off your old sinful nature with all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. I really think it's interesting the next word that, that Paul kind of focuses on here. He talk, talks about... The old nature is corrupted by lust and deception. Interestingly, this, this corruption, it, it has 
elements of being spoiled, something's been destroyed, something's ruined, but it also has a connotation of something has shriveled up and withered. And I think that's interesting when you, you talk about life. You talk about a person's life, that it's shriveled and withered. That's the corruption that deception brings onto us. It shrivels our life. There's a great description of this shriveling and withering in Romans chapter 1, towards the end of the chapter. Paul is speaking about people's lives that are outside the kingdom of God. He said, Their lives have become full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, Envy, murder, quarrelling, deception, malicious behaviour and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. They disobey their parents, they refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless and have no mercy. That is not much of a life. He says, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Don't copy the behaviour and customs of the world. Famously, Romans chapter 12. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing and perfect. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So... Contrasted with the old nature, which was antique, worn out, this word for new, kainos, means fresh, new, unused, superior to what it succeeds, unprecedented. I know that's the life that I would want to be. I want to have that fresh, new, unprecedented, succeeding what had come before, not the old, antique, worn out. Conform to God's will and purpose. You know, we don't become righteous by our own efforts. But because by faith we take on the righteousness of God, when that righteousness becomes ours and we wear that like a garment as well, it changes the way that we think about other people. And so righteousness and holiness are often kind of in tandem. They're like two dogs walking down the same track. Righteousness and holiness, goodness and mercy, that kind of thing. And these two, righteousness, holiness, one is towards men, the other is towards God. The way we deal with people and the way we respond to God. And those two are important. I may have told the story previously of one time being in Macquarie Street. I parked my Morris 1100 and uh, I, I used to do gardening for a, a job back then and as a college student. I had a pair of old gardening shoes in the boot of my Morris and I stepped out of the car and started walking down the street and a homeless man came. He was in bare feet and I felt like I should give him my shoes, uh, which I did. And then one of the things that uh, you noticed too, or I noticed, was that he didn't have much of a, 
a covering against the cold. He was just wearing a shirt. So I thought I can give him my old coat, um, which was far superior to his, what he was wearing. Um, so giving him the coat and uh, giving him the shoes, it was interesting. He put that coat right over the top of his old gear. And um, I thought that it was interesting that he didn't even bother to take off his old coat to put the new coat, just put on the new coat. And it reminded me that that's like a lot of Christians, that we have this new life from, from Christ. We put the new life on without getting rid of the old. We don't put off before we put on. It's very important that we put off. There's a daily putting off and a daily putting on for every Christian. So Paul's New Year resolution number three was New Year, New Clothes. Paul sets up then three New Year resolutions for the church. In 62 AD, but also City Church in 21 AD. Hang on, 2100 AD. It just sounded nice, 62 and 21. It did. We've got a new year and a new walk. Let's be keen, as Paul was, to be distinctive. Let's now, as then, Paul is calling us to be bright lights in a dark place. New year and a new school. Paul was keen that the Christians then and us now are disciplined and apply our learning, apply what we have learnt, the truth that we've learned in Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth and the life. And thirdly, our new clothes. Paul's keen that Christians display the Jesus qualities, that we put off the old, put on the new daily. I think it would be really good if we responded to these New Year resolutions. What is our resolve? I really love what Dr. Ray Andrews uh, said when he was here, and probably he says it in lots of places. He said, I won't try and imitate him. I was very, I practiced at home, but I won't try and imitate him. <laughs> all right, all right. Jesus never came to make us better, He came to make us new. Jesus never came to repair us. He came to make us new. Amen. <laughs> but it's true. What do we do then? Well, I think we have to assess and take stock. Paul says in Romans 12, chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 3, I give you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measure yourselves by the faith God has given us. So I think we have to assess ourselves honestly. Say, where, where are we now? Where would we see ourselves in 2020? What would we like to do with our life? How would we like our life to shine? Would we, how can we more, be more distinctive? How can we be influential in our lives in 2020? And then I think we need to pray. I think we need to pray and be as specific as we can, relying on the Holy Spirit. And I think 
Thirdly, we need to act, to practice it, to walk it out, and again, rely on the Holy Spirit as we walk. So I would just like to finish as, and pray together as we finish, but John Newton, what a, an amazing uh, man he was. His life, and we, we know some of his background as a slave trader. He wrote the amazing hymn. Amazing Grace. This is his self-assessment, and then I'm going to ask that we might pause for a moment and pray together. John Newton says, I'm not what I ought to be. Ah, how imperfect and deficient. I am not what I wish to be. I abhor what is evil, and I would cleave to what is good. I am not what I hope to be. Soon... Soon I shall put off mortality, and with mortality all sin and imperfection. Yet, though I am not what I ought to be, nor what I wish to be, nor what I hope to be, I can truly say I am not what I once was. A slave to sin and to Satan. And I can heartily join with the apostle and acknowledge by the grace of God, I am what I am. Let's just take a moment in silence to consider what God is calling us to do. What is our resolve for 2020? And then I'll lead us in a prayer together. We thank you, Father, for this coming new year. We wait for its promise to be realised, its potential to be released, and your purpose to be revealed. Lord, help us in 2020 to walk worthy of the calling that we have, to be distinctive and compassionate to graciously avoid tolerance and synthesis. Help us, Holy Spirit, to learn from you and to make a practical and positive difference in our families, our church, and the spaces where we work and play. Lord, help us to actively put on the new nature, knowing that you who began this good work in us will continue your work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Our prayer, Lord, let our lives bring you honour and praise. Father, this is our resolve. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Let's all stand together.